Oh yeah, this is Above the Break, episode 25, and this is your favorite host, Nevin Brown. And as always, it's sad to say, James will not be here, folks. He is in health and safety protocols. Get well soon, buddy. Don't worry, I'll keep the episode brief. I know you'll tell me that you listened to it, but you don't have to, because I get it. Listening to your own voice is a hell of a lot better than listening to mine. All right, we're going to be talking first three games of NBA Finals. Recap it. Boston has a 2-1 series lead. Then we'll get into who we think is going to win tonight. It's Friday, June 10th, Game 4. It's big. It's bad. If the Celtics win, it looks like they will be raising another banner. Now, before we get that, we got some NBA news, big NBA news. And by big NBA news, I mean something that has to do with the Lakers and something that has to do with uh, LeBron James. And those are the only two things that ESPN, outside of the Nets, is willing to talk about. No strings attached. Okay, let's get to the most important piece of news that has nothing to do with those two entities. It is... Quinn Snyder resigns as the head coach of the Utah Jazz. And this move could have ripple effects throughout the league going forward. All right, Quinn Snyder, coach of the Utah Jazz, incredibly successful there. He's one of a few coaches in the past 30-some-odd years to coach the same team to a number one defensive rating and a number one offensive rating. I believe they had the number one ranked offense this season or close to it i don't know if the hawks ended up overtaking them they had the number one defense a few seasons back last year they had an incredible net rating and disappointed in the playoffs and that's kind of been the story of his time in utah really successful regular seasons disappointing playoff runs a big issue with the team is not quinn snyder's fault but it's that his two best players rudy gobert donovan mitchell do not get along. It's no secret. Now, they obviously were able to put their differences aside and have really successful regular seasons. But I think the bigger issue is that the two players are both incredibly one-way oriented players. It's really hard to build a team where one guy gives you next to nothing in terms of shot creation when they're, they're your best player, and the other guy who gives you a ton of shot creation gives you nothing on the defensive end. So... They're not playing four on five on both ends per se, but there is a little bit of that. Snyder sounds like he's not intending on coaching this season. Now, a job could open up midway through the season and he could say, sure, I'll hop on that. I know teams have traditionally tried to bring in, or at least when they make a change midseason, bring in a guy internally. But as we saw with the Minnesota Timberwolves being aggressive going after Chris Finch, you know, I think that's something that might have been a paradigm shift. I think we'll see that more often if there's a coach a team really likes and they're available and it's midseason. I'm sorry, those guys were assistant coaches for a reason, sometimes obviously, but that's kind of the thought process. In major European soccer, this happens all the time. When they get rid of a manager, they don't just say, oh, well, you know, we'll just stick out the season with their, their protege. A lot of times they go and they hire someone good, okay? They go hire a big name and a guy who can get results. Quinn Snyder is that type of coach. Granted, 
if he takes this entire season off, I wouldn't fault him. He's ha- he looks unhinged. If there is one person in NBA history that looks like they just got out of rehab for a serious drug problem, it's Quinn Snyder. He just has that look. If he was in a horror film, you would assume he was the guy committing the acts of horror. All right? He's just he's got the eyes. He's got the crazy eyes, the crazy hair and an elastic-like face that gives off expressions that only a supervillain would ever need. Quinn Snyder is going to be a great hire, whoever gets him next. Some people say he might want the Spurs job after Pop resigns or retires. It would probably be retirement. So anyways, that's something to keep an eye on. Team struggles. His name's going to always be brought up. But Quinn Snyder, great tenure in Utah. He basically said at his resignation meeting, he's like, look, like I think I took this team as far as I could. I need to get the fuck out of here. I get that. Danny Ainge said we tried our darndest. Uh, I think he said desperately wanted to keep him. There's a reason. He's a great coach. He hasn't had the success in the playoffs that you would obviously want. But if he had, he probably wouldn't have resigned, right? So we'll see where he ends up next. There could be some openings. I wouldn't be surprised if the Nets don't have a great season. Steve Nash is gone. They bring him in. But the reality is his resignation puts every coach on the hot seat because just about every franchise says there's a better guy out there. You got to get the job done. Okay, let's go talk about the Los Angeles Lakers new head coach, Darvin Ham. We touched on this last episode and even the episode before because it's been floating around. James and I both like the hire at his introductory press conference. Darvin Ham really, really spent a lot of time talking up Russell Westbrook. I get it. Westbrook is the problem with the Lakers. He needs to be better. The reason he needs to be better is he's making 41, 44, something, some crazy number that starts in the 40s of millions of dollars this season. Nobody wants him. The Lakers don't want to attach far out draft picks that don't align with the LeBron's prime because LeBron's out of it. They don't want to attach picks where LeBron will be 40 and 45 and out of the league. Anthony Davis, he has had injury problems. Those picks they view as being incredibly valuable and it's not a type of pick you attach to dump a contract. There's also the reality that the way the salary cap works, the Lakers actually don't want to basically trade Russell Westbrook and not get a significant amount of salary back that may extend into the future. Because as much as people have been prophesizing that they'll just let them walk and they'll have all this cap space, they won't have as much cap space as you think. Because the way it works is that when you're over the cap, you can stay over the cap through trades. But once you drop beneath the cap, you can't just go exceed it by signing free agents. You can only really do that with players that you extend internally. So the Lakers have incentive to move Russell Westbrook and likely they'll actually want players that have contracts that extend beyond this season because clearing their books isn't as advantageous as people making it out to be. That's something to look out for. But Darvin Ham, he was talking about how he's going to get Russell Westbrook back to championship level defense. Darvin, this is not an indictment as you as a coach because I know you know you're fucking lying. Russell Westbrook has never played championship-level defense. That's not a slight on Russell Westbrook. He was an awesome player in his prime. 
but he was never a fantastic defensive player. He gambles for steals, so he has decent steal numbers. He gets a bunch of cheap, bullshit, easy defensive rebounds to chase his triple doubles. He's not a good defensive player. If you watch the Lakers at all, his effort, his intensity, his focus, attention to detail, pretty much every, like, the way I describe it is this. If a layman can watch a basketball game and say, that dude's fucking up on defense, you know it's really bad. That was Russell Westbrook last season. All right? Ham also talked about sacrifice. Says he wants him to sacrifice on offense to give more on defense. I don't like the way this is going because if there's one thing that's been reigned true throughout Russell Westbrook's career is he ain't changing for nobody. It's what made him a very popular player. It might have been what made him a great player at one time. But as his physical advantages have declined, as his jump shot somehow has declined, you know, he, he's going to either need to change, and if he doesn't, he'll be, will go the Allen Iverson route, he'll go the Carmelo route. He won't have the options that he believes he should have, that he believes that he's probably earned or deserved. But in sports, it's not about what you've done. It's about what you can do. And that's how teams look at it. What he can do right now, not worth the money. Lakers are in a bit of predicament. I kind of like what Ham's doing, trying to gas him up and just be like, hey, no bullshit, you're going to have to sacrifice. I'm saying all these nice things now, and you better do it, or else there's going to be problems. But Westbrook, Ham, Lakers, it's going to be another really annoying season where we have to talk about, watch, and just listen to all this Lakers nonsense, and they're just going to probably be a pretty good team. They'll be better than people are saying right now because Anthony Davis will probably be healthier and probably be better people forget he was literally the best player on a championship team all right he is a really really good player when he's right if he's right and lebron is able to continuously defy logic and aging they'll still be a pretty fucking good team all right so you know four or five seed probably is their cap right now all right speaking of lebron james last bit of very fun news lebron says yes guys guess what i just became a billionaire officially probably could have maybe he was a billionaire before maybe he's not really a billionaire yet point is this man is very 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 rich and he said yes he said i want to own an nba franchise in las vegas he didn't even just say i want to own an nba franchise he says i want to own the nba franchise in las vegas well there is no nba franchise in las vegas currently so unless he has plans to buy the Pelicans and move them or another team, maybe it would be great. Maybe you buy the Oklahoma City Thunder and move them to Las Vegas, not back to Seattle because, you know, I guess he doesn't like the rain. Anyways, I just got me thinking, what would be some fun names for a Las Vegas-based team? So I went with some gambling terms that I thought could maybe, you know, kind of play over as an NBA basketball team name. So... Listeners, what do you think about this one? The Las Vegas action. Apparently action in Vegas is the play on the casino floor. So, you know, Las Vegas action, basketball action, you know. Not all team names need to be something plural, right? You got the, you know, the heat, right? So Las Vegas action. I'm not against that one. This one sounds more like a minor league baseball team name, but I actually do like it. The Las Vegas Railbirds. Railbirds is just slang for people who watch people gamble. You know, saying we're not in on the gambling because, you know, sports, they don't like when people gamble, except it's basically how they're going to, you know, ju juice their revenue streams yet again. All right. This one I think would be fun too. Las Vegas Spades. 
right spades like those are like the that's like the best suit right you're not gonna say las vegas clubs i mean you could do the las vegas hearts but you know this is the nba and you know i think they'd be like that sounds a little too wmba ish you know they already have the aces there you're not gonna do the las vegas queens right so i mean you could but it just that wouldn't that wouldn't fucking fly like you know we can talk about misogyny and sexism and all that stuff this that's you just don't do it just don't do it because yeah you know if they're the last you know the WNBA team would be the queens i don't know why they didn't pick that one that i think that would have made a lot of sense kings unfortunately already taken right diamonds eh, maybe diamonds i don't know all right what about this one because it's got a basketball and gambling kind of crossover event here the las vegas dimes so dime is slang for wagering thousand dollars a dime is a really nice pass that's a low-key one that i like um you know people don't use change anymore so they're not going to think so much about 10 cents right you know it's not 1950s it doesn't buy you anything and you know who does if you use cash still get with the times it's all digital all right what about this one the las vegas grind right a grind is a steady betting strategy that's based on knowledge and takes time. I don't dislike that one. You know, not the best, but I don't dislike it. Okay. What about the Las Vegas pips? Apparently a pip is any spade, club, heart, or diamond card or the dots on a dice. Right? I, I don't think that one people will go for because it seems kind of obscure and pips just doesn't really have that, you know beer factor that i think a lot of team names kind of go for but then again we have fucking lakers right like what's so scary about lakes unless it's friday the 13th actually you know lakes can be scary people die in those things sometimes sharks get into them from what i hear all right and then this one the las vegas spinners spinner is a winning streak so you know basketball people like winning streaks the, i then thought all right get off the gambling there's nothing really all that interesting about the las vegas area Right? Like, I don't think they're going to go with a Native American name uh, or something of that nature just because I think that's kind of out of vogue. Um, there's a lot of been resistance to those names. They've been changed over time. So I don't think they go that route. Um, and also Las Vegas doesn't have a huge connection to the Na Native American community like some of these other Southwest cities. Right. Um, but there is the Thunderbirds who are like an Air Force thingamajig out of Nellis Air Force Base, which is in the area. The only problem is the Thunderbirds are actually the name of like, I don't know if a minor league baseball team, but like a small kind of shitty baseball team that might be independent league. I'm sure they would love it if they picked the Thunderbirds so they could sue them or get bought out, get the name bought from them. They would love that. All right, I'm off of this because guess what? There is no team in Las Vegas right now. So this is all just hypothetical. LeBron does not own a team. He cannot own a team because he's still playing in the NBA. And this is the most important thing. LeBron probably wouldn't even be the majority owner because while he has a billion dollars in net worth, he doesn't have a billion dollars of cash lying around. And the fucking, the fucking Minnesota Timberwolves just sold for $1.5 By the time he's going to be able to buy a team, most teams are going to cost $2 billion, right? You just do the basic math. He doesn't have a billion dollars lying around. He probably isn't going to put up almost all of his assets to do it. So, yeah, LeBron will be a principal owner. He has a stake in Liverpool and the Red Sox and probably a few other 
organizations at this point through um, Fenway Sports Group, who buys franchises. I wouldn't be surprised if him and Fenway Sports Group would be the people leading the charge. He would be the face of the ownership group, but he would not probably actually be, in terms of money, the actual owner. But that's how these things in America work. All right, let's get, let's get, let's get to the good stuff. The NBA Finals. All right, let's talk about games one, two, and three. So game one, Boston Celtics won game one with a devastating, an absolutely devastating fourth quarter. So they won this game 120 to 108. They entered the fourth quarter with 80 points, and the Golden State Warriors entered the fourth quarter with, let me see if my math is good. Let's do, let's do this. 92 points they were down 12 and they won by 18 they apps or yeah they absolutely or they won by 12 they absolutely blitzed them they scored 40 points in the fourth quarter the celtics did and they only gave up 16 game one was the game the warriors needed to absolutely win because they lost it i Going into the series, I thought the Celtics would win. But that game one that they lost, I thought, basically killed their chances. The Celtics had just come off of back-to-back seven-game series. The Warriors had a ton of rest in this playoffs. They're at home. If you can't win that game, that's not that doesn't bode well for you. And the other big factor is that game, the Warriors won the offensive rebounding battle pretty significantly. They had 273 percent offensive rebound rate to the Celtics 20.6 the reason why that's important is that as we'll see in the next games that advantage isn't a given right like winning that part of the possession battle for the Warriors is not going to happen every game so when you get it you really need to win those games they just didn't hit enough shots Steph Curry had an absolutely nuclear first quarter I think he scored 21 points and he only ended up with 34 for the, the entire game the Celtics, it was pretty simple. That first quarter, they had never played against the Warriors' offense. The Warriors' offense is very different. Steph Curry is very different than anyone they had to go through in the East. And you could just tell they weren't quite up to speed. As the game wore on, they got up to speed. They they knew when to step up. They got quicker about that. They just basically got a better feel for the Warriors offense because as much as we can watch or we we or these players can watch tape you have to go out there and experience it you have to kind of get the mental reps before you can really really defend an offense right most teams run it's kind of a spread pick and roll so you get those reps week in week out game after game the Warriors do not run a strict spaced out pick and roll they have that but they do they do a lot more motion-based stuff. And so there's the weird offense, and the Celtics weathered that storm. The fact that Curry dropped 21 and the Warriors were only up four in that first quarter, if you were a Warriors fan and you weren't concerned, then you're a goddamn idiot. Like that's When your best player literally is that good in a quarter and you have a four-point lead, that's not a good sign. Boston came back in the second quarter, did really well. Then, as it will be a consistent thread, the Warriors were fantastic in the third quarter, and then Boston put put the put the put the Womack on them, put the, destroyed them in that fourth quarter. All right, so game one, 
Game one was interesting. Jason Tatum didn't shoot well, passed well. Jalen Brown, Al Horford, Marcus Smart all had pretty good games. I'd say Horford and Smart had good games. Horford, in his case, a really good game. Six of eight from three-point range. I don't think he'd ever hit three or six three-pointers in a game before. Jalen Brown, people have been gassing him up this whole series. He was okay. Um, he's unfortunately a player where when he's not putting the ball in the basket at an efficient clip, he's not a super useful offensive player. He's an abysmal passer. He will get assists, right, because he does command attention. But he's not a good passer, turns the ball over too much for a player that isn't a good passer. So, you know, he got his 24 points on 23 shots. That's, for him... That's not really giving you all that much. But because Horford was so good, Smart was so good, Derek White was also so good. He's been great ever since he had a kid. Who knew? Who knew? People, if you want to step your game up at work, have a kid apparently. That's not normally how it works for most people. I feel like it destroys their work-life balance. But when you're a millionaire professional athlete, I think it's different. You know? Because your life is incredibly, incredibly different. On the Warriors' side in Game 1, Klay Thompson was not good. I mean, we'll talk about this more. Klay Thompson's been bad in this series, and, you know, it's kind of one of the reasons why the I wasn't super confident in the Warriors is that they seemed pretty reliant on Steph Curry for all their offense, and it was clear that Klay Thompson wasn't going to be able to make up the difference like he used to, and that's bore out in game one. He was 6 of 14, you know, 3 of 7 from three-point range, 15 points, didn't get to the free throw line, no steals, no blocks, two rebounds, three assists. He just, he doesn't give you, he used to give you those 15 points at that efficiency with the good defense, with a few extra rebounds, with a few drives to the basket, get a few free throws, get someone in foul triple. He just doesn't have that aspect of his game right now. He may never get it back. He's really just at this point, a jump shooter. Makes a lot of money, good for him, but we'll see. Draymond had an abysmal game. Draymond has not been great in this series. I feel like he's getting a lot more shit than he deserves because people literally just criticize people who don't score points. If you score points, no one will criticize you, even if that's all you do and you're not doing efficiency with efficiency. Draymond, 2 of 12. He did get 11 boards. He did have 5 assists. He only had 3 turnovers. He did foul out. But the point being is that Draymond can score 4 points in a finals game and you can be live with that. You actually might be happy with that but he can't take 12 shots and get four points. Really, it's like, it just comes down to that. It's, he go, you look at his box score and you say, oh, five assists, three turnovers, that's not that horrible. Two of 12, two of 12, right? That means he missed 10 shots. He gave the other team the ball 10 times. He was 0 of three from the free throw line. Like it's just, you need a little bit more. Andrew Wiggins, solid game. He's been solid throughout this series. Nothing exceptional. Jordan Poole, terrible nine points two of seven four turnovers two assists i mean he's been out of sorts i'll talk about him a bit more Otto porter jr who i think is the key to the warriors getting back in this series he was very good four or five from three-point line that was the only shots he took 12 points he got two steals four rebounds he does a job and he does it well game one came down to the warriors not outside of steph curry not hitting shots and what that means is that they weren't able to take advantage of Steph Curry giving you a cushion. They also got that cushion with the offensive rebounding. I mean, 
they only turn the ball over a little bit more than the Celtics, which if you're the Warriors, you usually turn the ball over more than your opponent. So it's like that was a game that they needed to win and they didn't. Not only did they not win, they got embarrassed. All right. So let's go talk about game two now. Game two, the Warriors stormed back and kicked the living shit out of the Celtics. And after that game, there was kind of this wave of, oh, the Warriors, they're back. And my thought process is, well, let's just take a chill pill and let's just think about how did the Celtics play. Celtics had an effective field goal percentage of 46.9. That is abysmal. That would have been the worst in the league over the course of the regular season. The Warriors are a great defense, but they're not going to consistently hold people to that type of shooting. So you go, okay, you know, they, you know, so that was a bad shooting night. Teams lose those games. The Celtics also had a massive turnover rate of 17.1%. That, you know, while they will cough the ball up, that's not going to happen consistently. The Warriors got basically the perfect game from the Celtics. The Celtics couldn't hit anything and they're giving the ball to the Warriors. The Warriors on top of that didn't turn the ball over a ton. And this is the thing that is crucial. The offensive rebounding normalized. Boston and the Warriors are basically at the same offensive rebounding rate. So what that means is that game one offensive rebounding for the Warriors, that advantage probably isn't gonna be something that's gonna continue and it hasn't. It also tells you that Okay, so the Warriors got a bad game from the Celtics and they took care of business. Really, Boston just stunk it up in that third quarter and into the fourth quarter. They just, there was The game was close, it was in hand, and then they just stopped hitting shots. They started turning the ball over, and the Warriors capitalized. And that was it. Like, I mean, effectively, that was a game that the Warriors won because the Celtics lost, all right? It wasn't a game where you went, wow, the Warriors are just the better team what it was was the better team played worse you could say that's the case for like all games if you really want to but if you watched it that's kind of the feel that you got right Jason Tatum had an okay game he scored 28 points on 19 shots that's good efficiency only three assists four turnovers right he was able to get to the foul line eight times he was unconscious from three-point range six of nine but he was two of 10 on two pointers. That's been a consistent thread I've seen with Tatum. He's really struggled in the two point range. He's really struggled on layups. He's been able to get to those shots, not when he wants to, but often enough that it feels like there is a big game coming just because you're like, hey man, like you're missing five or six layups. Like you hit half of those, you're scoring six more points. You might get a few and ones out of it. Horford, after a great game one, offensively was a no-show I think his defense has you know consistently been pretty good but he went he took four shots hit one of them two points Jalen Brown an abysmal game an abysmal game I mean like I said when he's not scoring and scoring efficiently he's basically unplayable 17 points on five of 17 shooting I mean for a guy that doesn't give you much playmaking that's just unacceptable Marcus Smart had one of the worst games I've ever seen two points one of six from the field five turnovers, five assists. He looked like he's playing for the Warriors at times. It was it was it was ugly. Derek White, 4 of 13, bad game. Robert Williams, 14 minutes, didn't make much of an impact. He has he did get two block shots because he's going to do that. 
Celtics, basically, all of their key players had really, really poor games. I mean, Tatum, you could say, didn't have a poor game. I think he had a pretty good game, a solid game. Probably an average game for him, if we're going to be completely honest. That's why you lose that game. You didn't play well. The Warriors, did they do anything exceptional? No. I mean, honestly, that's why they should have been feeling good about winning that game. They didn't really play that well. I mean, Curry scored 29 points. 21 shots, 5 of 12 from three-point range, got to the line seven times. Draymond had a much better game, got to the line seven times, two of three, seven assists, one turnover. That was a good Draymond game, right? So far, when Draymond's played well, they've won, and when he's played poorly, they've lost. Wiggins, poor game. Klay Thompson, another poor game. Four of 19, 11 points. That's not going to cut it. Kevon Looney, absolute monster i don't know why he doesn't play more probably just because they want to space him out he was great six to six pool had a game that people got excited about and this playoff series this finals has kind of exposed jordan pool not for the fraud that he is but for the player that he always was not the player we wish he was jordan pool is a great six man he's a microwave scorer but he's not a guy that you start on a championship level team He's a bad defender. And offensively, he's incredibly inconsistent. And the thing that separates the best players in the league from just really talented, exciting players that are capable of awesome moments is that consistency. He doesn't have it yet. Can he get it one day? Sure. But right now, he doesn't have it. He hit some shots when the Warriors were up massively. He hit an incredibly deep shot when they were up like double digits, maybe even 20 points. So his stat line is 17 points on 14 field goal attempts, 5-9 from three-point range. You're like, oh, yeah, that's a good Jordan Poole game. He didn't score any points when, like, the game mattered. And while people say, oh, you know, blah, 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 look, like, that's important in a finals when a guy has struggled in the moments when the game is actually the balance of the game is there for the taking. He's been poor. When the Warriors had already won the game, he basically padded his stats. Good for him. If it helped his confidence, that's great. We're talking about a guy who basically has had one decent game because they put up good numbers when their team had already won the game. Okay, not too complicated there. Let's move on to game three. In game three, in Boston, the Celtics... They showed that they were the better team, and they did and they did it in a way that I expected them to be able to actually do from the get-go. And the fact that they split the series 1-1 without taking advantage of the glass in the way that I thought they were capable of is a good sign for them. Offensive rebounding is crucial for these two teams in deciding games for one simple reason. The Warriors turn the ball over a ton, just usually. The Celtics, while they don't always turn the ball over a ton, they have the ability, as we've seen throughout these playoffs, to have really bad games and just cough it up. The possession battle matters. The best, the way to think about it is this. If you were to play a game against someone and they took 100 shots and you took 20, the person that takes 100 shots doesn't need to hit them that as well as you do to win that game. That's why possession battle mat- matters. All right? Game three, Celtics won the offensive rebounding battle 
they had 37.5% for their offensive rebounding rate. Golden State was at 15.8. You just can't win a game if the other team is going to get that many more second chance points. Golden State's effective field goal percentage was slightly better, but they basically shot the ball the same, but they lost by 16. Why? Golden State turned the ball over significantly more of 15.9% to 10.8%. You know, five turnovers, five-ish turnovers over 100 possessions, that's a pretty big swing. And then they got killed on the glass. I mean, if you're the Warriors, you're looking at that game and you look at how you shot and you say, well, we would have had a chance if we had rebounded better and took better care of the ball, right? Like that's why the offensive rebounding battle to me is so crucial. And it's one of the reasons I thought Boston would be able to take advantage of it early on. And when the Warriors had that edge in game one and didn't and didn't win, you go, okay, then this team just probably doesn't have the juice, right? Steph Curry had another good game. He's been good. 12, 12 made field goals, 22 attempts, 31 points, only made to the line once, 6 of 11 from three-point range. Klay Thompson had his best game of the series, but it's still, it was good. It was a good Klay Thompson game. And that's one of the disheartening things if you're the Warriors about this, is that you got a good Klay Thompson game and you got you lost by 16, which lets you know, man, we just we just don't he just might not be good enough at, at this stage coming off of those two injuries to really be a difference maker. I mean, this is a guy who scores 25 points on 17 shots, six of six from the line, right? Three assists, no turnovers, one block, one steal. He had his best game of the series and it really didn't matter. Wiggins was again solid. He's been kind of steady eddy, pretty consistent, plays a solid defense. He takes his open shots. If they could get a big game out of him, they could steal one, I, I do think. Draymond, really bad game. Again, two points. This time he didn't take 12 shots. He only took four. One of four from the field, right? Didn't get to the line. Only four rebounds, three assists, two turnovers. Fouled out. Look, like, Draymond is a great player. He's an all-time great player. He's a fantastic defensive player. I think even still... But he, he allows teams to defend your best offensive players in a way that makes it, that puts more pressure on them. And while Curry is up to the challenge, it has a cascading effect where Curry's gravity doesn't get you quite as many open looks on backdoor cuts because you just can sag off of Draymond. And like when he catches the ball, he doesn't look at the rim. He's at the three-point line. And the guy covering him is like, closer to the rim than they are to him and sure he's a good passer and he'll get a few assists that way but it's just you're really not going to win often I mean or not win often you're not going to be able to maximize Curry's talents with teams defending him like that Jordan Poole 4 of 8 10 points you know not a great game you need more you need you just Jordan Poole is a guy where you can kind of look at the field goal attempts and kind of know sometimes how he's playing. 25 minutes or so, eight field goal attempts. He's not feeling it. And he just does if he's not giving you anything on defense, which he doesn't, that gets into the that gets in the crooks. Otto Porter, two of three. Boom. Six points. Right? Hits his three pointers. Gary Payton made his return in game two. 
People said he made a big difference. Game three, 11 minutes, minus 13 plus minus. I think Gary Payton, the second coming back, was the most overblown thing ever. The dude's a smallish good defender. He's going to be great on your traditional standard point guards. I just don't see him altering Jason Tatum's shot. I don't see him being able to stop Jalen Brown from bullying him to get to where he wants. If he wants to shut down Marcus Smart, that's fucking fine. But Marcus Smart basically is their fourth option on offense most of the time. Gary Payton II is a great player. I love him. I just don't know why people got so carried away about him coming back. I think it's just because the Warriors won. And this gets to the adjustment that I think that we need to look at going in. Going in to game four where this series could very well. I mean, it's going to determine whether or not this series has the chance to be special back and forth series or whether or not we're looking at the Celtics making this quite easy. I think Otto Porter Jr. needs to be the guy that the Warriors rely on in their best lineup. When they say we need this lineup is our lineup that is going to get us on a run, that's going to separate the score, that's going to get us back in the game. I really think he needs to be a part of it. He's a good defensive rebounder. He's kind of that power forward, small forward hybrid He's not a lockdown isolation defender, but he, he's smart. He knows where to be. He's got long arms. He's a fantastic three-point shooter. And if you have him out there, you have Steph Curry, Andrew Wiggins, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green. You're going small, but you have size and length. All right? And I think that needs to be you know, their new death lineup. Because Jordan Poole, Poole being a part of that death lineup, that's dead. The death pool is over. The splash pool is over. The whatever you wanted to call it, it never was. It is a thing that works against bad teams. Well, maybe not bad teams. It's a thing that's not working in this series. All right? Look, Jordan Poole, this is the finals. It's the adult swim time. You're a child. You're not allowed in. Like, that's what happened. All right? I think Otto Porter Jr., playoff Porter, is going to be the guy that the Warriors need to rely on just to give them a chance to make up for the fact that Draymond, they need to create space and they need to win this series by just hitting as many fucking three-pointers as they can. They're not physically better. They're not physically more dominant than the Celtics. They're not going to get as many free throws as they are attacking the rim. They're not going to get to the rim from isolations out wide. The way this team wins is... They have the greatest three-point shooter ever. People are still scared of Klay Thompson. Andrew Wiggins needs to be respected out there. And then you throw in two guys that cut, and you can get easy layups. The problem is the Celtics are too good at defense. You can't have two guys that can't space the floor, and you need Draymond out there for the defense and just the shithousery. The shithousery is next level. People can say whatever they want about it. I hate it. But you know what? Sometimes it works. Sometimes, you know, he should get double teed, but whatever. I think Porter is that guy that allows him to create the space, that gets some easier looks, that stretches the Celtics defense to the point where this maybe all-time great defense can't cope, where you can't play Robert Williams 
even 30, even 20 minutes, right? You know, Robert Williams has been huge, was huge in game three, blocking shots. You want to be able to, you want to stretch him out the game. You want to stretch Al Horford to the point where he's uncomfortable and he's not a defensive plus, and you're forcing Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, and Jalen Brown to be just next level on the perimeter, all right? The reality is, is that defending three-point shots, even if you're a great defense, is a hell of a lot harder than defending shots at the rim. They got to stretch them to their breaking point because if they don't try that, I just don't see how they're going to get, they're going to win this series. Um, I was t texting my friend Paul. I was saying, this series reminds me a lot of that Baylor Gonzaga national championship game where Gonzaga was the number one team. They just kicked the shit out of everyone and they played ba Baylor and it was like, oh, like these guys also played football. Like they're just bigger, faster, stronger, and they can use that to their advantage. And while the Warriors are sure as shit a more skilled team, physically they're not as imposing. And instead of trying to match that, they don't have the roster to match that. They don't have the guys to match that. The only way you can beat it is just stretch that physicality, stretch that athleticism to a point where it doesn't matter. That's why I think Porter is going to have to be the guy that Steve Kerr goes to in game four, game five, game six, game seven, whatever. However, he needs to become that fifth guy. I really think that will be the key for them. <sighs> All right. Now, game four prediction. My game four prediction, real simple. The Celtics are the better team. They're the substantially better team. They lost game two because they played like shit. They beat themselves. I don't see them playing that poorly. And I don't see the Warriors as having that edge that they used to, that fear factor. If if you just listen to the way these guys are talking post-game, you know, Draymond's getting agitated by people asking about his podcast and, and basically saying to these NBA reporters, which, it, you know, it's fair and it might be true, he basically being like, oh, like, you don't know shit about basketball. And the guy asked him about, oh, well, like, you know, X's and O's, do you think, you know, the Celtics might be listening, blah, 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 blah. Draymond's like, Man, if you think that's X's and O's, I don't know what to tell you, man. You don't know shit. Yo, like people that are winning a series don't say that to people. People that are confident that they're not going to lose this aren't that agitated. He's agitated. All right? Clay Thompson or Draymond, I don't know who the fuck it was. One of them talking about how the fans are cursing, chanting with obscenities in front of children. People that are winning a series don't say that. They just don't. Like, I'm not big in the psycho analyzing this stuff, but it's in these series that are very close, these big series, every edge matters. And right now, the Warriors are a little shell-shocked. They, and I think it makes sense in this regard, when Thompson, Curry, and Draymond have been healthy, they have lost what one series to peak level prime icon moments lebron james since like what like 2014 or something one playoff series this team basically has never been in this position where they are the second best team in a playoff series when these three guys are together they're feeling that they know they're the second best team 
It's been made pretty fucking obvious these first three games. And I think it's, in some ways, it's humiliating for them. And I think you're kind of seeing it through these comments. Hopefully they can compartmentalize that and it doesn't spill over and cause them to play poorly. But I mean, like I said, teams that are winning those winning a series don't bitch about fans. They don't get mad at reporters for asking stupid questions. Look, these basketball reporters don't know fucking shit. But Draymond, or anyone, you don't need to be a dick about it. You're only a dick about it because you lost and played like ass. Okay. Final bit of news before I let you go. Steph Curry. Steph Curry. There's a pileup, loose ball, bodies diving everywhere. I think Al Horford kind of like landed on Curry's leg, lower leg, knee. I don't know exactly what the injury is. Um, I don't know if the Warriors are going to really want us to know exactly what it is. He's hurt. He says he's going to play. I mean, they need him to play. But... If Steph Curry playing as well as he has in this series and you're down 2-1 and he's not full strength, he's compromised in any capacity, I just don't really see a way for Golden State to overcome that. They would need Jordan Poole to rise to the occasion in a way that he simply hasn't in weeks. All right, Jordan Poole is a guy who looks really good against bad defenders and against good defenders, not so much. He's not an elite level athlete. He doesn't have physical advantages. He's incredibly skilled. He's incredibly crafty. He's quick, but he doesn't have those elite physical traits that can consistently overcome great defenses. They're going to need him to have one of those out-of-body experience shooting nights where he's just hitting everything. He can pull up from anywhere. He's forcing defenders to be up in his shit three feet behind the three-point line, which allows him to get that step he needs to get to the paint, create havoc. They need him to have one of those games if Curry isn't Curry. And most likely he's not going to be because, you know, he's old and he got hurt. And Curry also, you know, doesn't have a ton of physical advantages. He's right on that kind of cusp of type of player where, any physical issues, you know, hampers them more than say, like, I don't know, if a seven-footer has got a, got a fucked up knee, but he's out there, he's still seven feet. That's tall. It's hard to block seven feet, even if they don't jump, even if they're not moving laterally very well. All right. All right. I hope you enjoyed the Nevin Brown version of Above the Break. Hope I didn't rant too much. James, if you're listening to this, you know, it's okay. You were wrong about the Warriors. I don't care about that. I don't care that I'm right. I just, you know, I hope you get better. And before I leave, before I part, this goes back to what James and I said earlier in the year. Pretty much all season long, the Warriors are wasting an opportunity to package Jonathan Kaminga, James Wisen, Moses Moody, some picks, you know, not all of them necessarily, and get a guy that can help Curry on offense. I know people wanted it to be Jordan Poole. It ain't him. He's a great player. If this team had never won shit and didn't have these championships and wasn't going to be judged solely on winning the hardest thing in the sport to win, 
would be a different story, but they are. They're at that tier. That's the tier every franchise and team strives for to basically be judged solely on did you win it all? And they didn't capitalize on the assets they have. They didn't capitalize on this season that they had where the Clippers were down, where the Nuggets were down, where the Lakers were down, where the Suns fell apart, right? Like they had, this would have been, this this is the year that they would have had to win one more championship because I don't know if they, next season, when everyone's a year older, that's going to be the case. And they kind of missed, missed it because they didn't package those guys for another guy to help. Maybe he wasn't available, but I always feel like these star players, they might not say they want to get traded, but if the Warriors with a real chance to win a title come knocking, you might say, yeah, fucking trade me. They have assets that are good. Warriors, they messed up. They needed to improve that roster in a dramatic way to help Curry, and they didn't. They trusted that Clay Thompson would be Clay Thompson, which was just an absolute bonehead decision. Even if he ends up getting back to that point, he's coming off of two missed seasons, an ACL and an Achilles. It's going to take more than this season for him to get back to who he was. All right. That was episode 25 of Above the Break. This is Nevin Brown. I'll try to get this up before the, the, the tip off, and I hope you enjoyed it. James, get back. Remember, like, subscribe, rate, review, check us out on YouTube. This will not have any video because, well, I get the video from our Zoom and I didn't feel like recording and extracting the audio. You get the point. I'm lazy, okay? I'm sorry. All right. We'll be back, not in a week. We'll be back sooner than that because I want to hear James be like, Nevin, that podcast was horrible. Here's all the reasons why. I took a bunch of detailed notes. Fuck you, by the way, and uh, I'm healthy again. All right, James, get better. Everyone, stay safe. Remember, mask up. All right. And as always, we'll be back in a few days. So, peace. (laughs)